Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water, the podcast that examines a passage of scripture and asks the questions, what does it mean and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, When You Pray, we're looking at another section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, and what Jesus taught about how to and how not to pray. Let's get started. So here's a question. When was the last time you prayed? Like really prayed? I promise I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for whatever state you feel your prayer life is in. It's a question I've been asking myself too. Have I talked to God lately? What did we talk about? What did God have to say? Because it's almost always a one-sided conversation. I do all the talking and take God's silence to mean he heard me. But in today's text, we find that prayer is so much bigger than what we might be accustomed to. So let's dive into today's text. Jesus begins his discourse on prayer in this section of the Sermon of the Mount by first challenging the norms regarding prayer as it was regularly practiced at the time. So rather than starting with, here are five steps to a healthy prayer life, he begins by specifically pointing out how not to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verses 7 and 8, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So here are two prayer practices Jesus seems to be putting on blast. Public prayers and verbose prayers. Both of which are prayers we've heard at church before, which makes us wonder, have we been praying wrong this whole time? Perhaps, or perhaps not. As with everything, Jesus speaks to intentionality and matters of the heart more than anything else. And what praying in public and using long-winded and fanciful words have in common is showmanship. What Jesus seems to be shepherding the people away from is prayer just for prayer's sake. Prayer is not simply ceremony. Prayer is not a way to elevate yourself and make yourself sound especially religious or spiritual. Prayer is not for the benefit of any other listener but God. Now, Jesus calls people who pray aloud in the synagogues and on the street corners hypocrites. Now, this word gets thrown around a lot in Christian circles because, you know, hypocrisy is really easy to achieve. Basically, any time you contradict what you say with what you do, hypocrite. And it's possible to do that in prayer. When you pray in the spotlight, that's exactly what the problem is. You're the one in the spotlight. The attention is on you when it should be on God. And that's hypocrisy because you claim you're praying to God and asking God to hear your prayer, But really, you're kind of wanting the, wow, that was a really good prayer from passersby. Next, Jesus calls the people 
who use many words, pagans. Uh, he warns against babbling like pagans, to be precise. Jesus is saying, God is real. Those who worship artificial gods have to use all the words and every combination of words. And even then, their prayers will go unanswered because the recipient of their prayers is powerless to do anything about it. But our God is living and at work and knows what you need before you ask him. This is not to say we shouldn't pray at all, but we don't have to soak our words in poetry and all the church acceptable words in order to be heard. And before we continue, notice Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, he says, when you pray. Prayer is necessary. Prayer is how we acknowledge the limitations of the human experience. It's how we practice humility in knowing that we are dependent on one who is higher and more able than we could ever hope to be. That is why we pray. Because there is much we can do, but there is also so much we cannot do. Okay, so how should we pray? Jesus says in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Yay, introverts and shy people and people who fear public speaking rejoice. You too can pray. But in all seriousness, this kind of prayer that Jesus instructed us to do was radical for his time. People went to the temple to pray or to have prayers said on their behalf. Worshiping and communing with God was done as a community, but here was Jesus advocating for a close and personal connection with God. But then when you do spend time with God on a one-on-one -on -one basis, the prayer Jesus invites us to pray is not about me so much. Listen to what church tradition calls the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Interesting. There is not a single I or my or me in there. All the pronouns are first person plural. We, our, us. The Lord's Prayer is a collective prayer. Once again, we have to ask, are we doing prayer wrong? And the answer again, perhaps or perhaps not. Our prayer topics are usually kind of all over the place, right? We ask for specific needs or we intercede on behalf of loved ones. We pray for peace around the globe as we also pray for a good parking spot in a crowded lot. And we follow the Lord's Prayer as kind of a formula for how to structure our prayers. For example, our Father in heaven. So that's like the greeting part in an email. Dear sir or madam, okay, hallowed be your name, all right? This is where we say something nice about God. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which usually translates to, I'm now going to pray for a bunch of things. Please let this be in your will, God. Give us today our daily bread. Okay, now I will start to rattle off all the things I need. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, I made some mistakes. Please forgive me, even though I really have no intention of letting go of my personal grudges. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is where we release ourselves from any accountability for said mistakes and blame it on the devil. Okay, so maybe I was being a bit facetious there, but if you really stop to dissect your prayers, I feel like a lot of us will find my little spoof to be painfully accurate. And if we can zoom out from our oh-so-very-me-centric views for a minute, we can see a little more clearly what Jesus might have been teaching us through the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer isn't merely a template for how to structure our personal prayers, and that's not to say we can't have personal prayers, but when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, the entire prayer is about asking God's will to be done on earth. It's a prayer that shows that God's will is not being done on earth presently and how we can be agents of advancing God's kingdom on earth. And speaking of God's will, I am mortified of the ways Christians typically use God's will as an as a way of explaining away any kind of tragedy or unexplainable phenomena. How often have we heard it said that these were all a part of God's will and plan. Now, while I do firmly believe that God can carve out a way out of these deep ravines of sorrow and tragedy and lead us into greener pastures, I do not believe it's God's will that bad things happen. God's will on earth is constantly impeded by human agents and the naturally deteriorating state of this world, which is all the more reason that we pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For example, when we pray, give us today our daily bread, this is reminiscent of the time in Exodus when God rained down daily bread, literally, or manna from the heavens to feed the Israelites in the wilderness. And they only needed to collect enough manna to last them the day because God would send more the following day. It was a way of trusting God to provide. Now, fast forward to Jesus praying for daily bread, indicating that in his view of God's kingdom on earth, Daily bread shouldn't have to be so hard to get. But due to the injustices that existed back then and even today, daily bread is elusive to many around the world. Or it requires some to work three jobs to get that daily bread. So it's not just a prayer that God help us make our ends meet. It's that God may end hunger and poverty on this earth. It's a big ask, but it's one we must keep asking. As for asking for forgiveness of debts and leading us not into temptation, these are also bigger than our personal debts and temptations. It's again a pronouncement that 
the world is not what God intended it to be. The society that Jesus lived in, as does ours, runs on debt and feeding vices. It's a world where debt accrues more debt and people are imprisoned rather than being offered help or reprieve. Jesus envisions God's kingdom on earth to be a place where there is an abundance of mercy and forgiveness. It's also a place where help and care, even self-care, is offered for those who are struggling with various temptations. Now, this is evident in verses 14 and 15 when Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Yeah, it actually says that if we do not forgive others their sins, God will not forgive our sins. And no, God isn't going to withhold forgiveness from us. But once again, Jesus is shifting the paradigm here. He's saying everyone is in need of forgiveness in one way or another, and we can better promote harmony and peace when we acknowledge this. We can live in a state of perpetual forgiveness and acceptance rather than judgment and division. Because that is what we often do with our prayers. We often tell people, whether out loud or in our minds, oh, we'll pray for you when we see them doing something we disagree with. We are weaponizing prayer as a way to shoot down those we deem as less spiritual than we are. Or we use prayer as a way to garner favor with others. Well, you're always in my prayers. You can do those things without announcing it, you know. What Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, and specifically through the Lord's Prayer, is that we can be more real with our prayers. We can cut the pretense. We can cut the performance. Just take your requests, anxieties, worries, and whatever else to God, however raw it weighs on your heart. And when you pray, indeed, keep asking for more of God's will to be done on earth and that human selfishness and injustice may be trampled on by the goodness of God's grace. So today, I want to close with the prayer from Jesus. May it remind us all that God is real and near that you can approach him just as you are with unremarkable and few words, that you can voice your needs as well as hope for God's will to truly be done on earth. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.